Our scripture today is from Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened and power through his love in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. How are you strengthened to experience what you believe about God? It's an interesting question. It's printed in your sermon guide there. And it's an interesting question because it assumes that you can know something or believe something but not experience it. In fact, the question is rooted in this passage here in Ephesians 3, where where Paul says, uh, he's praying for these Ephesian Christians that they would be strengthened with power for three purposes. One, that, that Christ would dwell in them. Two, that they would know the love of Christ or comprehend it. And three, that they would be filled with the fullness of God. Now, here's the challenge. All three of those things are true of who Paul writes to. That if you're in Christ, if you've trusted Christ, Jesus comes to dwell in your heart by the Spirit. That if you come to trust Christ, you understand his love, what he had to to do to purchase your salvation. And number three, you're, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. That's not something that the fullness of God, it's not something you get later. So if, if the Ephesian Christians have all three of these, then why is Paul praying that they get them? And the answer is because you can know something and believe something, but not experience it. Or another way to put it, you can know something is true of you, but not experience it in your inner being, deep within your heart. And so that's what prompts this question. How then are you strengthened to actually experience in your inner being what you may know to be or what you believe about God? And to answer this, we're gonna ask two questions. Why do you need to be strengthened and what are you strengthened for? Okay, why do you need to be strengthened? There's there's two reasons that are embedded in this passage. And the first is that you need to be strengthened because of the weakness of your inner being. Now that inner being is referring to your heart, not the organ that beats in your chest, but that that center of your life out of which everything flows, emotions, will, that's your inner being. Verse 16 says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. What Paul is saying is that our hearts are weak and narrow and unable to hold this immense treasure that he calls the riches of God's glory, Christ himself, and these weak and narrow hearts that we have. 
had a friend uh, in Charlotte when I used to live there. He moved into a new home, and it was a two-story house. And he was going to put his library on the second floor. He had been in ministry for a while, and so he had built up, and he was a voracious reader. So he had tons of books, tons and tons of bookcases. And he was smart. Before he put these on the second floor, he thought, hmm, I wonder if the floor will hold all of this weight. So we hired a contractor. The contractor came out and said, no, it's a good thing you hired me. No, your floor will not hold the weight of all these books. And so we had this contractor actually bolster the floor, put in more beams so that it could hold his library. The floor was strengthened to hold the weight of these books. What Paul is praying here in a similar way is that is that your heart would be strengthened to hold the riches of his glory, this immense treasure of the glory of God. And this begs the question then, what is, what is weak and narrow about your heart that keeps it from holding this immense treasure, this reality of God's glory? And the answer is, is interesting because it's found in what Paul does not pray here. Give you some context. Uh, living as a Christian in Ephesus was hard. It was not easy. Ephesus was a town of lots of religion, of lots of spirituality. Um, every kind of New Age thought was in Ephesus. And they were tolerant of everything except Christianity. And so Christians were faced with persecution, uh, suffering because of their faith, and on top of that, Ephesus was a, it was a port town, which means it had all the vices that were available to have pleasure, to accumulate wealth. And so you put all that together, and it was very hard to live in Ephesus as a believer. And yet, in the midst of all of this hardness, Paul doesn't pray for their circumstances, does he? He doesn't pray for circumstantial change. He prays for internal change internal heart change. And what we find here is that your, your heart, my heart, our hearts are weak and narrow because of their addiction to circumstantial change. That our hearts have this tendency to lock on to circumstances and become addicted to circumstances changing. Tim Keller, he writes it this way says this, we human beings are obsessed with the idea that our happiness is determined by our external circumstances. Whether our body is healthy or looks good, whether we have money or not, whether people are treating us right, if things are going well out there, that will make us happy. The Bible says no, true happiness has nothing to do with your circumstances. Happiness is how you deal with your circumstances from the inside, how you process, address, and view your circumstances. The heart being addicted to circumstantial change is like, and what it does to your heart is like what drugs does to a body. Someone who is addicted to drugs and what it can do to the body, break it down, make it weak, shrivel it up, make it anemic, that that's what this addiction that we have to circumstantial change actually does to our hearts. It, 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 it breaks it down. It, it shrivels them up. 
It makes them weak and narrow. And that's why Paul prays that their hearts and our hearts would be enlarged to carry this treasure. It's not circumstantial change. It's the glory of God. It's the riches of his glory to make room for Christ, the person of Christ. That's the first reason why you need to be strengthened. The second reason comes directly out of verse 19. It says, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now, we've already alluded to it, but there is this knowledge experience gap that exists in every human heart. This knowledge experience gap that you can believe and know something, but not actually experience it in your inner being. That is what Paul is trying to dial into here. Consider, for example, consider an orphan who at the age of 10 finally gets adopted. Now, when this orphan is legally adopted, the papers are done. And this orphan even knows and believes that he's legally adopted, that he's a member in this new family. Is he instantly secure? No, he's not. He knows he's been adopted. He knows the paperwork is official. He knows by law he's a member of this new family. And yet his heart has to catch up to that reality. Right? That he... That, that, the security that this adoption brings has to, has to grow in his heart. And that's what you and I face with the, the truths about God, the promises, all that we sing about, we've said that we know and believe and they're amazing. And yet there's this gap of what we experience in our hearts. Paul Tripp, he calls this the huge gap between our confessional and our functional theology. Huge gap between our confessional in functional theology. He tells the stories for 14 years he taught at a seminary. And he taught students that he said, he would say, are, were brilliant. Their understanding of the scriptures and their understanding of doctrine, just brilliant students who he said were very immature in their everyday lives. Listen to what he says. Students who could articulate the sovereignty of God could be overcome by worry. Students who could expound on the glory of God would dominate classroom discussions for the sake of their own egos. He says, I've counseled students who could explain the biblical doctrine of progressive holiness while nurturing secret worlds of lust and sexual sin. I've seen many men who were months away from ministry who had not yet learned how to love people. Students who could explain the biblical teaching of God's grace were harsh, judgmental legalists. Huge gap, knowledge and experience. It raises questions like this for you. Why, why are you consumed with worry? Why do you scream at your kids? Why do you blow up at your spouse? Why are you unable to practice self-control? Why do you not have more joy? On and on, we ask these questions of what we experience in the truths of the gospel, and we go, what a massive gap there is. And that's exactly why Paul writes here in Ephesians 3. He's saying, I understand that gap, 
And I'm praying that God would strengthen you with power by his spirit in your inner being so that this gap would begin to close. Now, that leads to the second question. What are you strengthened for? What are you strengthened for? We're gonna see the three purposes or so that's that come out of this strengthened with power. And it's gonna speak to what we're strengthened for. The first is the reality of Christ. The reality of Christ. Look at verse 17. Strengthened with power so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The word dwell here means to take up permanent residence. It means to live in. And the prayer here, what we're getting at here, is that, that Jesus Christ in you, okay? That's the, your confessional theology, that you believe that upon trusting Christ that Jesus lives in you, that Jesus living in you would become a pulsating reality. That Jesus in you, though unseen, would be more real than the person sitting next to you. That's what Paul's praying here. That, that Jesus' opinion of you would matter more than your boss's opinion or your friend's opinion. That Jesus' opinion of you would matter more than the number of likes you get on Facebook when you post a picture or you post something. The reality of Christ, that he would be a pulsating reality in you. Hudson Taylor, famous missionary, would pray this every morning. Lord Jesus, make thyself to me a living, bright reality. Pray that every morning. Lord Jesus, make thyself to me a living, bright reality. Blaise Pascal, brilliant, brilliant French mathematician, genius, born 1623, after running from God for 31 years of his life, he finally met God and was unshakably converted to Jesus Christ. And when he was converted, he wrote on a piece of parchment, he wrote something, and he had it sewed into uh, the inside of his coat. And when he died eight years later, they, they found this coat and they found this piece of parchment, and this is what it said on it. Year of Grace, 1654, Monday, November 23rd, Feast of St. Clement, from about half past 10 at night to about half an hour after midnight, fire, fire in all caps. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of philosophers and scholars. He was one of them. Certitude, heartfelt joy, peace, God of Jesus Christ, God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God. Joy, 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 tears of joy. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. May I never be separated from him. Reality of Christ. That Christ in you would be a pulsating reality. That Jesus is more real than the person next to you that you can see and touch. Second, what are you strengthened for? The reality of Christ, second, to comprehend the love of Christ. Strengthen for the love of Christ. This word comprehend that shows up in, in verse uh, 18, that word comprehend means to grasp. It means to lay hold of. It means to seize, to grasp, to lay hold of. 
to seize. It's a beautiful picture of what we see in Genesis chapter 32 when Jacob wrestles with God. Jacob had been given God's great promises, the promises that were given to his grandfather, Abraham, that he would be the father of a great nation and have many offspring and descendants and that the Messiah would come through his line, all these amazing promises. And yet what Jacob knew, the promise, which he reiterates in the beginning of Genesis 32 before this fateful night, yet in the midst of knowing that promise, he was a schemer, he was a manipulator, he was a liar. Jacob had a massive gap between his confessional theology and his functional theology. And so he enters into this night where God wrestles with him and he wrestles with God. God takes on the form of a man and Jacob wrestles, wrestles all night long. And at, and at daybreak, God is about to go and Jacob says this. He says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And what Jacob meant by that was this. God, take what I know of your promise Take what I believe of your promise and sow it deeply into my inner being so that I experience it and live out of it. And what God did is changed his name after that night of wrestling and he gave him a limp for the rest of his life so he wouldn't forget it. He changed his name from Jacob, which means deceiver, to Israel, which means one who wrestles with God, one who grasps, one who seizes that's what it is. We're, we're to grasp, to seize the love of Christ. Not just to know it theoretically, but to grasp it and say, God, you've got to enlarge my heart. You've got to strengthen me with power so that I don't just know it, but I experience it. It's a pulsating reality that consumes my heart, that consumes my life. And what exactly of the love of Christ are we to grasp? It's not just this kind of amorphous love it's very specific, and Paul details it out here with four words. He says the breadth, the length, the height, the depth. So what is the, the breadth of Christ's love? Here's what that means, breadth or width. It means that God's grace is greater than your sin. That there is there is not a sin that you can commit that can disqualify you from the love of God, that his love is wide, that it encompasses every nation, every socioeconomic group, every type of sinner, every quantity of sinner, the breadth of his love. Second, the length of his love. What does that mean? Well, when did, when did God set his love upon you? We learned in Ephesians 1, before the foundation of the world, before you ever had a chance to sin, God set his love on you, which means you can't sin your way out if he set his love upon you. The, the, the work that God began in you, he will carry to completion, he says. That's why Jesus says, those the Father gives me, no one can snatch him out of my hand. Why? Because he set his love on you before you ever had a chance to sin. That's the length of his love. What about the height of his love? Jesus is at the glory, in glory at the right hand of the Father. And Ephesians 2 says we're raised with Christ, raised with him and seated with him. Obviously, that doesn't mean literally, but what it does mean is that you receive the same honor 
that Jesus Christ receives at the right hand of his Father. That that's the height of his love. You receive that honor by nature of being in Christ. And then fourth, the depth of his love. This describes a love that's not just therapeutic, warm, and fuzzy. This is a love that is costly. And it describes the depth to which Jesus went to rescue you. He went to hell and back to love you. Now, you put all that together, and what does it mean? Breadth, no sin keeps you from Christ's love. Length, no sin removes you from Christ's love. Height, no sin steals the honor you receive from Christ's love. And depth, no sin goes unpaid by Christ's love. And when you're rooted and grounded in Christ's love, your sin no longer intimidates you. And when you're rooted in that love and God strengthens your heart to grasp it, your sins no longer intimidate you, that they've been defeated. So what are you strengthened for? Reality of Christ, the love of Christ, and then finally, the fullness of Christ. Look at verse 19. It says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is the capstone of Paul's prayer. This is, in fact, the goal of Christ dwelling in you. It's the goal of you grasping or comprehending his love. It all flows into this, this point, that you would be filled with God. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 say it this way. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us in his precious and very great promises, so that through them, listen, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Partakers of the divine nature. In Romans 8, it's described as being conformed to the image of Christ, that you would be filled with Christ, that you would partake in the divine nature, that that's what it means to be filled with God. And if I can, for a moment, connect this back to circumstances, because this defines what God's goal is in your life. Circumstances are a means to an end for God. Just like the, the potter sits on the wheel with the the lump of clay in front of him and some tools off to the side to shape and mold this lump of clay. So you and I are lumps of clay on the potter's wheel. And the tools that God has in his hand are your circumstances. Your circumstances that he uses to shape and mold you so that you would be filled to the fullness of God. So it begs a question I think that's worthy of asking. Are your prayers and your desires consistent with this, the way that God operates? In other words, are your prayers and desires primarily circumstance-focused, or are your prayers and desires primarily character-focused? Are your prayers and desires centered around the circumstances of your life, or are your prayers and desires centered around the character that God is forming in you? And do your prayers resemble more of what we read here in Ephesians 3, that God would strengthen you with power? 
And what that does is no matter what your circumstances are this morning, no matter where you find yourself, in a room like this, there are people that are experiencing tremendous blessing on mountaintop, and there's some who are, are experiencing tremendous hardship down in the valley. It doesn't matter whether you're up on top or you're down, wherever your circumstances are, we can all pray the same prayer. And that's why Paul prays this for Ephesian Christians that are all over the map with circumstances. But the prayer is, God, in the midst of what I'm facing, will you strengthen me with power? That Christ will become a living, pulsing reality in me. That I will grasp the depth, length, height of Christ's love. That I'll be filled to the fullness of God. We can pray that. Imagine you get a call. This would be a really, really nice call. You get a call from a bank officer one afternoon, and he says, you've just inherited $50 million from a distant relative. That would be a phone call. You're elated, you're excited, and you say to your wife, honey, we just inherited $50 million from aunt, 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 whoever. So you gather your paperwork, you go down to the bank, you produce all the necessary documentation, and you withdraw $10,000, and you take your wife to Italy for the weekend. Six months later, your wife, who does the finances for your household, she's struggling to pay a bill, struggling to make ends meet. And she comes to you and she says, honey, Thought you said we were rich beyond what we could ever imagine, and yet we're living right now as, as poor as we ever have. Why aren't we living out of that inheritance that we got six months ago? And imagine if this was your response. Well, honey, the bank is downtown. The traffic's a mess to get to the bank. The parking's even worse. I can barely find a spot down there. The lines are long. And then imagine what your wife would probably say back to you. You're rich. We're rich. How can you let anything get in the way of this inheritance? How can you let anything get in the way of this inheritance? The reality this morning is you and I are rich. Call it $50 million inheritance sitting there that we know, that we believe. All these truths of the gospel, I'm adopted, I'm forgiven, I'm set free. I've got a new family, I've got a new father, I've got a bright future, I've got all of this stuff. I know it all. Why aren't you drawing on it? That's what Paul's getting at here. Why aren't we drawing on it? Why aren't we pleading with God Father, there's a massive gap between this inheritance I know I have and my experience of it. Would you strengthen me with power? Would you enlarge my heart to carry this treasure that I would begin to actually experience it and live out of it? I just want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. I want to exhort you this week to pray this way. 
to pray Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, more specifically 14 through 19, to pray that, to every day wake up and say, Jesus, may you be to me a pulsating, living, bright reality today. And avoid the temptation to run to circumstantial change and avoid the temptation to pray circumstantial change, to pray this and trust the Holy Spirit to enlarge your heart, to put the beams and everything necessary in to carry this weight of glory, the riches of God's glory, the reality of Christ. And when that happens and when your heart's enlarged and you're living out of that, that, that confessional theology and that functional theology starts to merge and circumstances start to take a backseat as you live out of this heart that God brings to life to carry his treasure. Let's pray. Father, there's a reason that you say in Psalm 34, 8, to taste and see that the Lord is good. You don't say just to believe that the Lord is good, but to taste and see that the Lord is good. Father, would you strengthen our hearts this morning as we're about to take this meal that we will be able to taste? And would you use it to strengthen us with power in our inner being that we could grasp and experience the reality of Christ, the love of Christ, the fullness of Christ? And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.